Blessings all around. All's well. You guys happy? Excited to be here? Uh, we want to welcome those who are watching by live stream. And uh, we want to tell you that we're super glad that you're here. And we believe God has something very special for you this morning. And so we're doing a series. Um, there's a lot of things going on in our world. Again, we're focusing on this because God has a plan. God has a purpose in the midst of everything. And you have a lot of opportunities to be something right now. You have a lot of opportunities to make choices uh, in different directions. And your choices will determine your future. I want you to say this with me. My todays will determine my tomorrows. Your todays will determine your tomorrows. And so what I want to share with you this, we're doing a series called Be, Become. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to do what you need to be in this season. You need to be faithful. That's this week. You need to be positive. You need to be confident. You need to be encouraged. You need to be passionate. And you need to be abundant. So we're going to do these topics over the next few weeks, and we want to encourage you, we want to exhort you, we want to kind of point you in the right direction, and we want to encourage you to make quality decisions that move your life towards something. Make quality decisions that move your life towards becoming everything that Jesus has for you. And so this morning, we're going to talk about faith, and I want you to say this with me, right? We love active participation. Faith, come on, is a hopeful expectation of something good. If you have faith, it's a hopeful expectation of something good. Faith is a belief that causes action. So say this with me. Fear is a belief that causes an action. Fear, come on, is is also a perspective that causes a belief. And so a lot of times with fear and faith are like the opposites of one another. God has called us to live in faith. And if you realize you live in this world, the world is almost always compelling you to be in fear. Everywhere around us, it's like a motive. The motivation of this world is always fear. The motivation of God's kingdom is always faith. And so we're always, we have to realize what fear is and what faith is. Fear, you have a perspective and you start looking at everything around you and it causes you to believe something. And most oftentimes when you have the perspective of fear and you start believing out of fear, what you're believing is a lie. The world's going to end. Who told you that? Listen, the world's not going to end with a coronavirus. I got news for you. The world's going to end when Jesus Christ splits the sky and he steps through the lightning and the world will see him and the dead in Christ will rise. That's how the world's going to end. It's not going to end by coronavirus. Jesus gives us, read Matthew 24. Right? It's not there. If you read how God is coming and all of the things that are happening. So who told you that? Who told you that your life was over? You, get, you look at things and you go, oh my gosh, you know, uh, my company downsized. I don't have a job anymore. I'm never going to get a job again. Who told you that? Oh my gosh, the economy is shifting and it's never going to turn around. Who, who told you that? Who told you that? When we have a perspective of fear, it causes a belief. When you have a perspective of faith, it causes belief. You have a hopeful expectation of something good. When you have a perspective that God is for me, then you have the belief that what could possibly be against me? When you have the perspective that God is for me, what could possibly stop me? This is what God wants from us is faith. He wants us to be faithful in this time. So what should you be in this time? What should you do in this time? The Lord would have you to be faithful. 
What's important to know, and all of those watching by live stream, you need to know this, is that human need does not move heaven. This offends people, but it's a truth that has to be understood. Heaven is not moved by human need. Heaven is moved by faith. Faith moves heaven. If you read the Gospels and you read the story of Jesus, how many people did he pass by that had need? Lots. Lots. Kept right on going. When do you see the interaction and where do you see the kingdom break in? When faith was demonstrated. When faith was expressed. Human need. Everything that God is going to do about human need, he did with the cross. Everything that God is going to do about human need, he released his spirit and he's given his word. And until we come through Christ, on through the sacrifice, until we begin to live by the Spirit through the context of the Word, we're never going to see anything. Because that's how heaven moves. Heaven moves by faith, not by feeling. So when we pray and we tell the Lord, Oh God, don't you see me? Oh God, don't you feel bad for me? Oh God, look how miserable I am. He, he, he sees you. But it doesn't move him. It's the same thing like, Mommy, Mommy, oh Mommy. And you're rolling on the floor. Anybody have kids? <laughs> you get a six or a seven-year-old and they're laying on the floor. Oh, obey God, I obey. You're like, get up, dude. Get up. God looks at us when we're sitting here and we're sniveling and we're crying in our issues. And he looks at us and he tells us, get up. Stand on your feet. Be the person you are. I've given you faith. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my word. Operate according to it. Stand as you're supposed to stand. Be faithful. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop having pity. Look, we all feel sorry for ourselves, right? Uh, we, we, you know, the world, the, listen, this world is a miserable place. It really is. If you're young and you're under 25, you think, woo, it's great. But the older you get, you're like, when are you coming, Jesus? Or do you, do you, like, you know, you're like, you're, you're just not e- eager to ho- stay here any longer than you have to. You want to move forward. You want to move into something better. We all feel sorry for ourselves because everybody has issues. Everybody deals with things. Faith is the currency of heaven. Human need doesn't. So when you begin to understand that pity parties are not moving heaven, you're going to begin to change. When you begin to understand that when the Father is looking at you, He's not looking at you for you to express pity to Him, in misery to Him. He's looking at you to express faith. Father, I know in this hour, I know how bad this looks, but I know you are working all things out to my good. I know that in this hour, a thousand may fall by my side and 10,000 by my right hand, but nothing shall come against me. When you begin to stand in faith and express faith, power comes to you. Heaven opens. The angels rally to you. This is how it works. It works like that. And you even feel it when you start doing it. When you're like, oh God, oh God, you don't feel anything but more misery. But when you stand in faith, you can feel the power. You can feel the spirit rise with you. That's how it works. Faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is a lifestyle developed over a lifetime. Say it with me. Faith is a lifestyle developed over a lifetime. We, we've lost something in America. American church teaches that it's like a Sunday morning kind of thing. Christianity is a lifestyle, guys. It's everything. Every part of your life is to be filtered through the gospel. Every part of your life is to be filtered through the kingdom. It's not just Sunday. I go and blow my life out for six days and then I come on Sunday and ask Jesus to to fix me. 
And then I'm going to go back and blow it all out again for six days. You know, that's kind of like how we live or we just come and we, we, we have to realize that our faith is something that is developed through a lifestyle over a lifetime. Romans 1.17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What does that mean? What is right to God comes by faith. You will begin, when you begin to express faith, God will begin to show you what is right to him. Those that come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. When you begin to call upon the Lord, he will begin to reveal to you what is right. And he will reveal it by faith. And then he says, as it is written, the just, that would be you. You're justified. If you're in Christ, the Bible says you're justified. It says the just shall live by faith. So faith is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's not something we do. It's who we are. That's important. So again, in this hour, what does God want? God wants you to be faithful, full of faith, faith with fullness. The faith is our method of victory over the world. You cannot have victory without faith. It's impossible. How do you know? Because the Bible tells me so. You've been given a victory over this world. You've been given a power over... What is the world? The world is not a place. The world is a system. This is how the scripture defines it. The word that's translated world is the Greek word cosmos, and it means system. It doesn't just mean system. It means system of thinking. That changes the perspective on everything. When you realize that you are in a world, and you're not just in a physical place... As a believer, you're in a world and you're in a system of thinking. Can I get a witness? Anybody here? So when Jesus said you're in the world, but you're not of it, what does it mean? You are in a system of thinking, but you are not of that system of thinking. That's what he's talking about. So Christians go, well, we're in the world, but we're not supposed to be of it. You know, and we think we're supposed to retreat from it, from, from the world as if it's some physical place. God, the Bible's not telling us that it's telling us. I want you to understand that you are in a system of thought that is not my way. It's contrary to me. It's a system of greed. It's a system of pain. It's a system of selfishness. It's all of these things. That's where we are. And we, we don't have to look far to realize that. The victory that we have over this world, over this world system, is faith. Faith in what? God's promises. I'm going to talk about what we need to have faith in and be faithful towards. But the method of our victory comes through faith. That's how it comes. You can't have victory without faith. You have to believe God. You have to not only believe God, you have to do what he says. You have to say, when everybody around me is doing the wrong thing, if I do the right thing, I will succeed and prosper. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. That's faith. That's an expression of faith. When everybody else is in a short-term gain, you're saying, no, God tells me to play long. God tells me to sow. God tells me to give. God tells me to do. God tells me to be. When everybody else is going this way and the kingdom says that, you you have to make a quality decision and say, I'm going that way. That's what faith looks like. Faith looks like a way that's contrary to everything that's around you. And that's reflected through his word. This is where our overcoming power comes. We have, again, we have this understanding, and this is where we have to have a kingdom mentality. We have to have a kingdom mentality because what we believe a lot of times, I call it the, look, nothing against Burger King. Thank God for Burger King. So nothing against Burger King. But we have a Burger King mentality. We want it our way and we want it now. That's how we are, right? And the kingdom doesn't operate like that. God built the earth in six days. He could have built it in one. When God frames the earth and he begins to pull things into time and he begin, he creates time and space itself. So I just want to give this concept because this is such a beautiful understanding of who God is. 
God intentionally limits himself. If you've ever considered how he operates, he intentionally limits himself. And I believe, I don't have full clarity on this, but I believe it's so that he can show the greatness of his glory. God creates time and space. He creates, he creates a realm and then he begins to fill it. The evening and the morning were the first day. So he creates light. He pulls light out of darkness. God lives in eternity. There's another realm. He lives outside of time and space. He lives in a superior realm. He lives in eternity. That's our ultimate destiny. He's eternity with the Lord. And but he creates a sub-realm. And he calls it time and space. And into time and space, he intentionally limits himself. He limits himself to work within a time period. He limits himself. And so God intentionally limits himself in order that he can show greater glory. And we have to have faith that God is going to work on our behalf. And he does it over six days. He didn't do it in one. This is what we've got to realize. So when you ask God for something, you believe God for something, you sow a seed, you're believing God for a promise. The Bible says if it tarries, wait for it, for it is for an appointed time. Though it's, wait, though it's in delay, it will come. It will come. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that when you pray, God sends the answer. The answer comes from eternity. And when, et- when, the, when the answer hits time and space, it moves over the arc of time. And so as the answer begins to move over the arc of time, time, begins to, time becomes a factor in how God answers you. God has to set up systems. You're saying, I'm believing God for deliverance. He's going to give you deliverance. He's going to set you free. He has to organize the, 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 the pieces and he's going to release it. God has to set the stage. He sets the, if you read the book of Esther, it's all about Jesus setting the stage. It, everything. It got really bad before it got really good. But God intentionally allowed the stage to get really bad in order that he could deliver his people in a mighty way. Same thing, and you see it even with, with how he worked with the children of Israel when he was in, in Egypt. He's bringing them out. But we can't have the mentality that just because I believe God on one day, I should have it within 24 hours. <laughs> I have one of my favorite stories, you know, we talk about tithing. One of your discipleship, I had this little girl, she goes, I tithed for two weeks, I didn't get, a, I didn't get anything. I go, tithe for 12 months. I said, then come back to me. I said, give the full tithe for 12 months and then you talk to me. I said, don't you tithe for two weeks? I said, you make a, you make a, you make a quality decision. I'm going to give the full tithe if I have to eat ramen noodles. And I said, and then you see what happens. Then watch what God does. Watch how he begins to move in your life. So we do. We tip him. We're not tithers. We're tip, we tip him. You know? And why Christians live in measure instead of abundance. Why Christians live in measure instead of fullness. Fullness is promised to you. But it's not promised to you unconditionally. Fullness is promised to you when you meet the conditions. You have to meet the conditions of the promise, and then God activates the fullness. See it all the time. And so what happens is we begin to believe God for a promise, we begin to have faith, and we begin to give God what He wants. He wants faith, and then what happens is we expect it immediately. And then we leave or we turn away, we throw our hands up and we no longer follow God or we no longer follow his ways. And we just basically are just around. Your faith is small, the Bible would say. Your victory comes through faith. You cannot, so this faith is our method of victory. You cannot please God without faith. Anybody here want to please Jesus? Right? We want to please the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to say, man, my life is to please God. I want to give God what he wants. He wants faith. 
Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. If you're not living in faith and demonstrating faith towards him, here again, this is Christian dumb. We, we, we think that faith, our faith ends with faith in Christ. That's how we, that's literally, you say, how do you know this? Because I encounter Christians all the time, all the time. I encounter Christian dumb. This dude did this to me last week and it keeps going through my mind. And I said, he should not have done that because it's going to come out in a message. So I had this guy last night. Let's show you Christian dumb, right? Um, we had a mic problem. So we're, we're, we're solving it. So I had to get a handheld. So he gives, they give me a handheld. And my wife's always telling me, Kevin, don't grip the mic so hard. He's like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I hold the mic. Sherry's like, don't hold it like that, Kevin. Don't, don't really don't, don't hold it like that. It's like, hold it very gently and very delicately. So when they... <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, so I'm holding it like this. This dude comes up to me after service. Christian dumb. If you're watching, if you're watching, you're watching right here, right here. Christian dumb. Christian dumb. Guy comes up to me and he goes, are you familiar with occultic iconology? This is the first thing a guy says to me. I'm like, what? I go, well, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm and he goes, are you realizing you're making occultic symbols while you're holding the microphone? This is my introduction to this guy. And I go, in what way? And he says, because your fingers keep going out like that when you're holding the microphone. I'm making occultic symbols. And he tells me, it's not your fault. It's just Satan trying to work his way in through the message. Christian, let me look right here. Christian dumb. I said said to myself, the guy should have never told me that. Because now I'm going to be using this. And now it's in my filter. It's in my grid. That's going to come up. I'm like, don't say that to me, dude. Because I'm surely going to share it. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. And it keeps pinging in me even while I'm standing here talking. Christian dumb. We believe that our faith ends with Christianity. So I told somebody that. I was like, yeah, somebody told me I was making symbols. And you should have said, really? Am I making symbols? What's going on there? (laughs) So if you see me, I'm so conscious now of my fingers. I should show them the ancient portraits where Jesus is doing this. You see these old portraits where he's always holding up three fingers in some time because he's representing the Trinity. So I'm just merely trying to hold the microphone gently. Anyway, when, when he tells me, oh, Satan's trying to work his way into message, I'm thinking, I feel like he's trying to work his way in through you right now. That's really what I'm feeling here. So thanks very much. Thank you for sharing. God bless you. You're not going to last here at all because uh, we are far too not. We are unreligious, so we will not be serving you, it seems, in the future. So nonetheless, but we believe that our faith ends with Christ. And so we receive Christ and we think that's the ending of our faith. It's not the ending of your faith. It's the beginning of it. We come out of Egypt and now we believe God for the promises. We come out of Egypt and now we begin to believe God for a greater opportunity, a greater life, a great something greater. That's the lifestyle of faith. But the gospel, so many Christians, are. this is how we, we teach the believer. And what we're really doing, and I'm just going to share this, what we're really doing is we're neutering something that Jesus paid blood for. I want to be clear. If Jesus thought it enough for him to give his blood for you so that you can have healing, you should value it. If Jesus thought it enough for you, for you to get blood through his brow so that you could have emotional healing, you should value that. If Jesus thought it enough for you to give his life in exchange for yours to become poor, that you might become rich, rich what? Not in material things, but in eternity and everlasting life and hope and wisdom and all of these things, it should matter to you. It should matter to you. 
And so what the enemy robs the church of, and he does it through bad teaching, is he robs the church and says, well, you're in Christ now, so now, brother, you are just got to occupy until Jesus comes. And so we have myriads of churches in America that just sit on their hands because they're just, they're born again. And the only calling that they have on their life is to just sit and occupy until Jesus comes. There's no upward calling. There's no destiny. There's no hope. The Bible is literally screaming with those words, with those words, calling, upward calling, destiny, purpose. All of these things are like so alive within the scripture Your faith, say with me, my faith does not end when I give my life to Jesus. Say with me, it's only beginning, right? Beautiful picture. It's like coming into a mansion and you're standing in the front door. (laughs) There's all of these rooms, an endless mansion with tons of rooms and beautiful things. And all of that is given for you, for you to explore, for you to be given the keys so that you can unlock a new door in your father's house. Given to you in this world, not in the one to come. And so what we do is we teach all the Christians to huddle in the lobby. We huddle in the foyer. The most crowded place in the earth, in our father's house, the spiritual house, is the lobby. There's, a, there's two, three, four, five stories to this place. There's a whole backyard. There's a whole thing surrounding this. And we just stand at the door. Well, I'm just so grateful to be saved. If he gives you something and he wants you to have it, you should take it. I share this a lot because it's important. In ancient cultures, they would practically execute you if you didn't receive a king's gift. This, this isn't America, so we're not thinking like America. I'm not an ancient world. So if the king brought you forward and says, I want to give you this. You are my faithful servant. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to put a ring on your finger. I'm going to put a crown on your head. I'm going to put a chain on your neck. I'm going to parade you around, and I want everybody to know that you belong to me and you are mine. Oh, no, Lord. No, no, no. No, I'm just happy to just stand here at the doorway. I'm just happy to do that. That would be such an affront to that king. That would be an offense to that king. Because the king delights in expressing generosity. It's one of the honors that's paid to him is when a king can express generosity. And Jesus is overwhelmingly generous. So don't think you're being holy by not receiving what Jesus asked for you. You're not being holy. You're not bringing him honor by simply living a low-level existence. That doesn't bring him honor. The upward calling is what brings him honor. Pursuing and pressing towards the high part of your life. Everything is for you. Everything is for him. I was praying this week. I was asking the Lord. I was kind of meditating. I ask myself questions all the time. And I say, what's the end game, Kevin? What's the end game? Always trying to get a reason why we're doing what we're doing. And I said, glorify Jesus. There is no other end game maximize our lives for the glory of God. There is no other end game. God calls us to be faithful. Your faith doesn't end when you come to Christ. You're called to be faithful. What does faithful mean? Great question. Faithful means this. Say with me. Committed, consistent, loyal, and firm. So when God is looking for faithfulness, he wants you to demonstrate a commitment. He wants you to not just be committed. He wants you to be consistent. He doesn't want you to just be loyal. He wants you to be immovable in your loyalty. Loyalty, all of this faithfulness to what? To Jesus? Here's where our faithfulness comes in. To Jesus. This is an inarguable point to most believers. We, we wouldn't argue that we need to be faithful to Jesus. We need to not just be faithful to Jesus. We need to be faithful to his word. We need to be faithful to his spirit. And here's another one. Hold the chair, those of you at home. We need to be faithful to each other. 
Maybe loving and kind and tender-hearted, preferring one another. Ready? I'll give you another one. Being willing to be wronged. The Bible literally says that. Why do you attack another? Why do you defend yourself and why do you tear at one another? He's offended me. And the Bible says, then let them wrong you. Let them wrong you. Put it on the Lord's account. I know it's hard. What the Bible is doing is he's expressing to us the the desire that he has that we would be faithful, not just to him, his word, but to each other. Listen, there's a lot of reasons to divide. I've never seen anything like it. Pastors are totally tripping because their whole congregations are not just dividing. They're dividing over COVID. They're dividing over social. They're dividing over, over political issues like never before, and they don't know what to do. Well, this is what we do. You call the believer to maturity. You tell the believer to act, to grow up. Grow up. Grow up. If you're fighting over social issues with other believers, grow up. If you're fighting over political issues with other believers, grow up. If that offends you, I make no compromise. You need it. Grow up. If you're offended over anything that's going on in our culture today, and you're offended because Christians don't see that the same way that you do, grow up. Grow up. We're all different. Welcome to the planet. I like green, you like blue. Hallelujah. Right? We can still disagree and respect each other. Let me say that. That's good. We can still disagree (laughs) and respect each other. Can't we? Can't we? Don't you all have children? Do your kids get along? I'm telling you, it's like like you give birth to opposites. If you have more than one kid, it's like you're thinking, oh, if if you get the golden child, your first child is the golden child. You're like, oh. And you think, oh, we just have such wonderful children. We should have 10 of these because our child is the golden child. And then you have the next one and you're like, I'm never having another child in my life. This is it. We're done. Your kids don't always get along, right? They're different. They like different things. But your job is to get them to get along in spite of their differences. So if we act like that, aren't we childish? Aren't we? If we fight and divide over stupid things, doesn't mean we, listen, we don't agree on everything. I get it. I understand. But we agree on Jesus. And we agree on love. And one of the, the way that we agree in the koinonia, the express, the loving fellowship that we have with one another is supposed to be a witness to the world. The world will know you're my disciples by what? The way you wear your hair, the way you sing. Oh, when you guys put on that worship performance or you teach pastor, the world's going to know you're his disciple. That's not what he said. It's not what he said. All of that stuff's wonderful. All of that stuff's good. That's fantastic. That's part of it. But our witness to the world is our ability to love each other in spite of our differences. That's the witness to the world. Red, yellow, black, and white. There's supposed to be nothing like this on the planet. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, and I don't care. That's pretty much it. What are you? I don't, I'm, an, I'm an I don't care. That's how people are. There are people that don't care. What are you? We have to be able to get along in spite of our differences. It's agapeo love. And if you have a hard time loving another person in spite of their differences, I'm going to give you a key. Here comes a key. You're going to say, Holy Spirit. Come on, help me out. Holy Spirit, love them through me. Right? Let God's love move. Let God love them. And you'll be amazed what happens. You'll love them and you'll go, I really don't like this person. Personally, I don't like them. But I feel the love of God here. 
And so let love them in spite of your feelings. That's, we have a love that's given to us. Christians have agapeo. We have access to a love that flows from heaven. We can love people. You can love people with the agape love of God. When you're in the spirit, the love of God is flowing. I share it with you all the time. You ever don't like yourself? You ever get frustrated with yourself? I don't really like me. I wish I had a different life. I wish I had a different, I wish I was a different person. You know, whatever. Anybody, is there anybody here? Is there any human beings, right? Then you get in the spirit and the love of God starts flowing and a miracle happens. You go, I think I'm a pretty cool dude. I think I'm all right. I like me. Then you think, oh, why did I do that? I'm so dumb. That was so stupid. They didn't get into spirit. And you get a revelation and you go, I'm a genius. <laughs> it's true. We have to love people. We have to let the love of God move and throw in our hearts. And we have to unite. We have to be faithful to one another. In this time, in this season, we're unified. People go, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, stop, stop watching the stuff that annoys you, man. If it annoys you, go find something else. Look at something else. Don't watch the posts of another brother or sister that posts things that you don't like. Just be their friend. And if they contact you, then just be positive and affirming and be neutral. That's all you got to do. Trust me, I practice it. I can be easily offended. I'm able to tell you this because I understand what it means to be offended. I get easily offended. Yeah. Pastors, pastors do. Listen, pastors are in the people business. That's what we are. We're in the people business. And if you really want to know the truth, more than half the pastors, 60%. So if you're a pastor watching, I want you to know you're not alone. 60% of pastors in America are discouraged and want to quit. Did you know that? It's getting quiet. We think that a pastor, no, 60%. Six out of 10 pastors in our country are discouraged and want to quit and want to give up. Why? Because they're dealing with people. They're dealing with frustrations. They're dealing with this. They're dealing with that. They're dealing with this. And you know, at the end of the day, they go, I don't need this. I don't, I'll go cut grass. I don't need this. It's true. And what, what, the, the way that you succeed, even in this position, doing what I'm doing, not because I'm higher than you. I'm not higher than you. I'm not better than you. I've been appointed to something. And I love you because Jesus tells me to. Not because I want to. But because he tells me to. I know, I know we just think, well, we're all, everybody's just loving people. You really aren't. You really, you, if you really watch yourself, you're really not that loving of a person. You aren't. You'll watch yourself and you'll see that people annoy you. You'll see how self-seeking and how self-serving you actually are. And you'll want to isolate from people more than you'll want to engage them. You know why? Because you feel vulnerable. And when you feel vulnerable, people hurt you. I live in a world of vulnerability. I have people that get mad at me and I've got to go and open up my chest and wonder if they're going to stick a dagger in me. Yeah, not easy. They're like, pastor, you need to call these people. You need to do these things. You need to do these things. Why do you take so long? My wife tells me, you take three weeks to call certain individuals. Do you know why? Because I have to prepare myself for the vulnerability that I know I'm going to experience. And I have to mentally train myself for the wound that I may or may not receive. Hmm? Yeah. I'm called to be vulnerable, like a lamb to the slaughter. I'm called to lay my life down. That's what it looks like. It has nothing to do with me. 
Me? You know, whatever. And so, and, but my point to you is not about me. My point is, and so are you. So are you. You're called to lay your life down. You're called, greater love is no one than this than to lay their life down for their friends. And the Bible tells us to love people that are not lovable. How in the world do you do? How do you do that? It's impossible. You need the Holy Spirit. That's really it. You need the Holy Spirit. That is the only way you can love people that are completely annoying to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to keep going on this, but I just want to help you. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to stop condemning yourself when you can't love because you really can't. You really can't. You can love those who love you. Oh, that's easy. But love the unlovable and you realize you are completely limited in your ability. You're very limited. You have to be given a supernatural ability that comes only through the Holy Spirit. And it's ready and, ready and available to you anytime you seek it. When you ask him, he'll show you. He'll, he'll love them through you. You have to go, okay, Lord, I can't deal with this. I need, I need your spirit, Holy Spirit. I need you to love them through me right now. First, A, I need patience. Calm me down. Calm me down. B, Holy Spirit, I need you to love them through me. And you watch what happens. Uh, you watch what happens. You'll see a change. This is a, we have a living faith. This stuff is available to us. So we're to be faithful to each other. We're to be faithful to your calling. A lot of people giving up on their calling. You're to be faithful to your destiny. God has a destiny for you. Listen, your destiny is not about you. Your destiny is about Jesus. And your destiny is about other people around you. You are called to fulfill your destiny because, again, we're part of a collective whole. By fulfilling your destiny, you are able to bless other people's lives. You are able to help bless your heavenly father's kingdom and bring it forth in the world. So you need to be faithful to that. You need to not give up. So we can't please God without faith. Faith is a primary faithfulness is a primary command to all believers. This is a good point, which I probably can't labor too long on because I just did on the last one. But faith is faithfulness is a command to all believers. Did you know that in this hour, right? In this hour, this is a statistic by a very accurate research firm, Barna research Church attendance is down 82%. Ready? It gets worse. 82%. I understand the COVID and everything. That's not the issue. I understand that. Of that 82%, 40 people, 40% of that 82 are watching it online. A full 50% plus have a, are not listening to teaching, going to church, anything at all. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? Where's the faithfulness of these of people that do that? If you're that person and you're watching this message, I'm so glad you are. And I bless you for that. But you need to go a little further than that. We, we have this idea that we don't need to commit to this faith. We are called to commit. It's faithfulness. Ready? Revelation 2.10. You want to know how deep this is? This is a command. So anytime something is structured in Greek, because the New Testament was written in Greek, anytime it's structured as an emphatic imperative, it's a direct command. It's not, hey, if you feel like it. It's the king giving an order. So when Jesus is speaking with an emphatic imperative, he's giving you a direct order. This is an emphatic imperative. You know what he says? Be faithful unto death. Ouch. How much should I be faithful if it kills you? You are to be faithful to me. You are to be faithful to my word. You are to be faithful to my spirit. You are to be faithful to one another. You are to be faithful to your calling. And you are to be faithful to your destiny if it kills you. That's what he says. 
That's the upward calling. That's the destiny. That's the high calling that we have. We're summoned by a king. And he said, if you do it, I'll give you a crown of life. Oh, yeah, by the way, be faithful unto death. And don't worry about it because I'll give you a crown of life. He attaches a reward directly to our faithfulness, the crown of life. Faithfulness is the key to promotion. We don't realize this either. It's a command given to all believers. It's a, it's, it's, it, it is the key to promotion. These things that you have heard from me, 2 Timothy 2, among many witnesses, commit these things, the things that God has entrusted to me, Paul is saying, I'm entrusting to you. And you are to entrust these high things to faithful men and women who will be able to, to teach others. Promotion in the kingdom comes through demonstration of faithfulness. God's not randomly just handing stuff out. And if he gives you something, he's given it to you as a test, as an examination, not to prove you wrong, but to prove you higher. Everything in our life and the promotions within the kingdom, the promotions within the sphere of everything that God has. God has a, you say, man, I've been believing God for a new job for the last 10 years. Why can't I get a new job? Have you looked at your faithfulness? Have you been faithful where you are? If you are faithful with little, you will be entrusted with, come on, much. Eh? Faithfulness is the key to promotion in the kingdom. You have to be faithful with what he gives you. And if you are faithful and you have been faithful, you have every right to call upon him. You have every right to have him examine your faithfulness in light of what you're asking for. You have every right. Every right. Lord, I've been faithful. Look upon my life. Have I been faithful? The Lord will affirm you're faithful. Faithfulness is not perfection, just so you know. Faith, say it with me. Faithfulness is consistency in the right direction. That's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness has nothing to do with being perfect. It has to be with a demonstration of a life that is consistent in the same direction. Lord, I have been faithful. I'm asking you for promotion. Lord, I've been faithful. I'm asking you for promotion. You have every right for that. Every right. A lot of times we don't ask, we don't ask. And we expect God to be okay with our discontent. We're, you're discontent, but you've been faithful. Ask him for more. Ask him for more. Nothing wrong with that. David said, so he told David, if it wasn't enough, David, I would give you more. You ever read that? He tells David all the stuff he gave him. I gave you a kingdom. I gave you this. I gave you that. He tells David everything that he gave him. And then he makes this statement. And he says, and David, if that wasn't enough for you, I would have given you more. Where's your faith? How do you see him? You you think he has an issue? He has no issues. His desire is to make you the head and not the tail. When he says you can have it, you can have it. What we circumvent is we circumvent the process. There's a process to get it. And that process is through faithfulness and relationship. And we abandoned one of them. Somewhere along the line, when God gives you a vision, you are either neglecting or abandoning your relationship, which is the intimacy and the communion in relationship to what he told you, or you're not being faithful with what he told you. That's what, that's what, the only thing that stops you from getting where he told you to is one of those two things. You are your own worst enemy. Circumstances have no ability to stop you. If you're in a communal relationship with the Lord and you are pressing towards the mark, is this what you want? This is. Is this what you want? This is. Where I have this problem, Lord, I can't get around it. How do I solve it? He'll give you the answer. He'll give you the answer. 
the way we achieve destiny, the way we achieve these things is by being faithful to what he has told us to do and being faithful in the relationship. And the way we, short, we circumvent it or we short track it is when we're either neglectful of the intimacy that he wants to have with us, the communion that he wants to He tells you stuff and he wants you to talk to him about it. He wants you to figure it out. I'm going to use one that's really relative to a lot of you in the room. Let's just use marriage. Marriage. Right? Marriage. How hard is marriage? Oh, God gave me a husband. God gave me a wife. When I got married, I wore out my knees on my pants. Because I was like, help me. Help me, Lord. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to love her. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't, I have no clue here. And he began, we didn't see the intimacy. If you, anybody here think they got marriage figured out? I just would like to know. Anybody here think they're Dr. Phil? And I can tell you right now, Dr. Phil doesn't have it figured out. He didn't have it figured out, but Jesus does. He'll give you the wisdom for that relationship. He gave you that relationship. Marriage is honorable among all. It's a gift. Children are a gift. Anybody here know how to raise their kids? Oh my gosh. An endless array of challenges. You don't know how to raise that child, but the Lord does. He does. He gave you that child. Children are a blessing from the Lord. They're your heritage. They're given by God. Bible says so. So is a he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage is honorable among all. God gives it. But he gives you something that you have no clue with what you're doing. You don't have a clue. Why does he, why would he do that? Why would he give me something that I don't know what I'm doing? Why would he do that? Because he wants you to relate to him. It's never about you. It's always about the relationship. Always. And you you, you say, I don't even know how to relate to you. Ready? Jesus, I don't know how to relate to you. Ready? This is another one. You've been given a personal relationship with Jesus. You've been called into intimacy with Jesus. And we all go, yay. But if I asked you, how do you do that? If I asked you, what does that look like? The vast majority of people don't have a clue. Because he's calling you again into something that you don't know what you're doing. But you know who does? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me how to relate to you. Holy Spirit, show me how to be intimate with you. Holy Spirit, show me how to hear you. Holy Spirit, give me a tender heart. All of those things, it's, it's through that relationship. Every single thing falls back to relationship. It's Jesus didn't come. I'll tell you, Jesus did two things. He didn't, number one, he didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a revolution. Number two, he didn't come to give you ritual. He came to give you relationship. So let's just be clear on that. It's not about religion. It's about revolution. Transformation in the ultimate way. It's not about ritual. It's about relationship. That's what he did. We are called to become artisans, craftsmen, creatives, discoverers, explorers within that relationship. And he's given you an everlasting guide called the Holy Spirit. All that the Father has has been given to me. When the Holy Spirit comes unto you, he will take from what is mine and give it to you. What does that mean? Everything God has is mine. Jesus said, "Because because of my lowering myself and sacrificing, and now I've ascended, everything that this kingdom has has been committed to me. I have total dominion over the entirety of the kingdom. And the Holy Spirit will take everything that is mine and he'll make it known to you. Then he says, when the Spirit of God comes, he will lead you into truth. You need, you need help? The Holy Spirit is your what? Comforter. Holy Spirit is your teacher. Holy Spirit is your friend. 
He's, he, he will show you everything if you'll learn him and understand him and begin to hear him and have confidence that you are hearing. And if you want to learn to hear him, come to School of the Prophetic tonight. We have School of the Prophetic. We'll teach you to hear to God. We'll teach you. You can hear him. What's amazing to most people is that they've been hearing him all the time. They just haven't really been able to discern his voice. His voice gets cluttered in all of the noise. God's forever speaking. Faithfulness is the key to promotion. We are stewards of his kingdom, so we are accountable. All of us, all of us have been given the kingdom. All of us. And we have an accountability to that. So God has given everyone in this room. He's given everybody who claims the name of Christ. You've been entrusted with something, and he expects us to be stewardly with that. What does it mean? He expects us to multiply it. He expects us, at the very least, to produce interest upon it. We are called to be, and we are accountable for what we've been given. And so it says more. So we've been given the stewardship of the kingdom. We've been given stewardship of faith. You're supposed to do do something with it. First Corinthians four. What is required of stewards is that they be found faithful. This is what God requires of us. What does He say when we come into the kingdom? Well done, what good and faithful. Right? Isn't that what He says? Isn't that what he says? Isn't that what he's looking for? Faithful servant. Right? Dynamics of faith. faith. This is what we don't understand what faith is. Faith is an active decision. Faith is not an emotion. Ever say it with me. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is an active decision. You can choose faith no matter the circumstances. You can choose to believe no matter the feeling. Faith is an active decision. Faith has... Oh, this is big. Faith, come on, faith has no feeling. If you're waiting for the feeling of faith, faith isn't going to come that way. Faith has no feeling. So what is faith? It's neutral. Faith is clarity. Faith is certainty. The world can be freaking out around you, but you can have this certainty in your heart. You can have this belief in your heart. You can have this clarity the clarity of a decision, the clarity of knowing. Faith is neutral. We do, when we pray for people, and I tell them to pray for people, and you're asking for an activation, and some people feel different things, right? And other people, they just feel very, very clear. I said, when you feel clear, that's faith. That's what it is. You demonstrate. So we need to understand what faith is. It's a decision. Faith doesn't have feeling. Faith is clarity. Faith is certainty. Everybody has a measure of faith. God is able to give into each one a measure of faith. What are we supposed to do with it? Romans 12, 3. We're supposed to exercise faith. Y'all got muscles, right? Okay. Some, of, some people, some of you have more muscles than others. Although I have been doing the push-up challenge. So I have been trying to do that. And somebody go, man, you're doing push-ups. Why are you putting up all these push-up videos? I'm like, do you read? Do you, do you read? Do you, do, you, do you actually read the post? I mean, like, like it's the call attention to veteran suicide. That's why there's a big... Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But um, muscles. <laughs> Exercise your muscles. Develop. Activate. Activate it. You're to develop your faith. So when faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Ready? We say, well, i got to listen to the Word of God so I can get faith. If that's the case, we should all have faith. Because there are people who listen to the Word of God 24 hours a day. That's not what the Bible is telling you. So it, it literally says this. Faith comes by hearing. This is the Greek. And learning to hear by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing the Lord and you learn to hear the Lord through the word of God. The Holy Spirit has a language and it's called scripture. And so when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you learn to hear him by the word of God. That's how it works. And so if it's otherwise, man, people are like, man, you should have faith to move the mountains. What it is, everything begins with the prophetic. The kingdom begins with the prophetic. 
Always. Prophetic is learning to see, hear, and feel as he does. Learning to discern his voice in the midst of a thousand. And this is what it means. How do I learn to hear? Faith comes by hearing and learning to hear by the word of God. We activate it. We have to activate our faith. Jesus answered to them. He said, have faith in God. What does this mean? This is how you activate faith. Ready? Ready? I'm going to help you out. I'm really going to help you out. These are hard lessons learned by me. So you're going to say this. Say this with me. If I look to myself for faith, I've already lost. You have a measure of faith, but you don't have the fullness of faith. God has the fullness of faith. So what is the Bible telling you here? It says when it says have faith in God, it's saying have the faith of God. How is that possible? God will give you his faith. He'll give you his faith. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is there anybody here who knows what happened? Like, okay, so I'm getting ready to heal somebody. or I, I can't heal anybody, but I'm getting ready to pray for somebody and pray for healing. Or I'm getting ready to do something. And I look at the person and they tell me a situation or a circumstance. They tell me what's going on. And sometimes it's so bad that, I mean, I'm tripping. I'm like, whoa. My immediate response is like, wow. What do I do? But if I look to myself and I go, I got to believe. I just got to have faith. I look to the Lord. I say, what do you want to do? Holy Spirit, I need faith. Holy Spirit, I need discernment. Holy Spirit, I need power. Faith comes. I have an ability to believe beyond my natural understanding. And so do you. You all do. If, you have, if you're called to believe something in this hour, you have an ability to draw on God's faith. He will give you a boldness and a certainty that is beyond your understanding. And it won't come from you. And what he gives you is in partnership with the measure he's already given you. We're very limited. Even with what we give, God has given everybody a gift. All of you are born with gifts, natural, and you're given supernatural gifts at salvation. You have an impartation. But those gifts are extremely limited in your own ability. But when you allow the Holy Spirit to move, they go to an entirely different level. If you have natural gifts, some of you have a... I've met people that just have a natural gift to make money. They just do. I mean, everything they touch turns to gold. Anybody met anybody like that? Seems like the guy can't fail. Or the woman can't fail. Everything they do, you're like, what? That's a natural gift. What would happen if they partnered that natural gift with the supernatural? People that have gifts of music. Natural gifts. Not everybody does. What would happen if you partnered that with the gift of, with the Holy Spirit? It goes to another level. That's just natural giftedness. Partnership with the Spirit. What happens about supernatural gifts? Same thing. Where do we get that from? We can have faith for God. We can have faith and God will loan you his faith. You have access to it. He'll give you his faith. God's perfect. God's not doubting anything. The Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. Not, none of them are in doubt. None of them have, you know, like, you know no doubt here. <laughs> the doubt's with you, Kevin. Lord, help me. I just receive faith. It's this impartation. You have to learn impartation. This is one of the reasons why the Bible tells you in Hebrews that the laying on of hands, which is the principle of impartation, is 101. Elementary principles of the faith is, is a principle of impartation. You have to begin to, because everything flows from impartation. And not just where someone lays hands on you, but the Holy Spirit will lay hands on you. You'll receive an impartation from the Holy Spirit. And nobody ever has to touch you. And, and it's, we're supposed to understand how to receive impartation. That's why the Bible says it's an elementary 101. Elementary principle of your faith. Because you can have the faith of God. And you say, how do I receive it? Impartation. Holy Spirit, I just receive faith right now. Right now. And let that certainty begin to move. Let the power begin to move. Let the flow begin to happen. It's how it works. It's a living kingdom. (laughs) 
It's alive. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Say this with me. A negative outlook. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. A negative outlook never produces a positive life. Where do we get our faith from? We have our faith in knowing that we have a loving God who is working on your future good. Where does faith come from? Where does hope come from? Hope comes, faith comes from hope. Where does hope come from? Our hope is that we have a loving God who is working actively for your future good. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, we know that all things work together to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Have faith. God's going to work it out for you. Have faith. Have faith. Look to the Lord. Daddy, I broke it. Fix it. My daughter used to destroy her barb. You know, my son would help to pull the hair off and everything. And she'd come to me and go, Daddy, fix it. A lot of you, a lot of, a lot of things have been given to you have been broken by other people. Daddy will fix it. A lot of you have broken things of your own accord. Daddy will fix it. Have faith in God. He will work the situation out for your good. He will. He'll fix it for you. He won't even fix it for you. He'll set it right again. He'll make Barbie look better than ever before. Your life will move in the direction of your strongest belief. Man, i got a lot more to go, but I'm out of time. Say it with me. My life is going to move in the direction of my strongest belief. Mm -hmm. If you believe that God has a future and a hope for you, you're going to move forward. If you believe that everything is negative and the world is ending, you're not going to ever have a happy day. You never will. You're never going to have a happy day. Oh, the world's ending. Oh, pastor. Antichrist is coming. Yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, oh, I don't know. You know, if you, you know, Jesus could come right now. I don't know. I'm afraid to leave the house. I don't want to go out there. I don't want to be found, you know, doing something wrong. I mean, if you, if you have a negative perspective, you're never going to do anything. But if you believe that God has something for you, you're going to move forward. He always has something for you. There's a story I always, this is, I don't know if you guys like Ronald Reagan or not, but anyway, um, this story comes from him. It's about a boy who was super optimistic, and the parents were really worried about this boy, right? They're like, this kid's too optimistic, man. We got we to gotta educate him in the real world. And so they take the boy who's optimistic and they bring him to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist goes, well, leave him with me. I'll, I'll help you out. And so the psychiatrist puts this optimistic boy in a room full of horse manure. And the boy opens the door and runs in, gets to the top of the pile and just starts digging. And he's throwing manure all over the room. And the doctor walked in the room and goes, what are you doing? And he's like, well... I just figured with all this horse manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> a negative outlook never produces a positive life. How can you have faith? You take Jesus at his word. Life proves us incapable. Can I get a witness? Life will prove that to you that you are not capable. Life will prove to you how unsure you really are. Life will prove to you, I don't like it any more than you. But we need to face facts. Life will prove to you that you how unprepared you really are. Life will prove to you your willingness to quit and your want desire to not go on. It will prove it to you over and over again. Difficult seasons force our faith into the open. God all God has an answer for all of those things. You're not you are incapable. Just settle it. But he's he he is capable, right? You're unsure, but he's absolutely certain. You're unprepared, but Jesus is always ready. You you get the picture here? (laughs) You get the contrast? So seasons like this push our our faith into the open. In Luke chapter 28, there was a storm, right? 
couple of Matthew and Luke both tell the story where they were out on a ship and storm came. And when Jesus, when Jesus corrected the storm and rebuked the storm, he looked at them and he said, where's your faith? Where's your faith? This is a question that has to be asked of ourselves in this hour. If God's looking for faithfulness and we're be called to be faithful, where's our faith? We have to be clear about what our faith is in. And we have to be clear that God expects us to have faith. What's your faith in right now? Some trust in chariots, the prophet said. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Do you trust in earthly means? Where is your faith? When the storm hits. Great calamity before Jesus. This is what happens. Matthew 20, 24, chapter 24. Right? So talking about the end times. Matthew 24 talks about the return of Jesus. What shall be the sign of your coming and your return? And your, what shall be the sign of your appearing and the, the end of the age? That's what the disciples asked him. And Jesus tells them. doesn't blink. Matthew 24, clear description. Everything is going down. This is what stands out to me. Jesus starts saying, it, literally, it's all going to hit the fan. Right? Everything's going to hit the fan. You're going to see some crazy crap. That's basically what he said. Pardon my French. And I was like, oh, he just said crap. Yes, I did. I'm sorry. Came out. Sorry. Could have been the other word, which would have been worse. Anyway. And you know what he says? He says, see that you're not troubled. That's what he says. You're going to see wars, rumors of wars. You're going to see famine. You're going to see pestilence. You're going to see everything, perplexity, just crazy stuff going on in the nations. And he looks at them and goes, but see that you're not troubled. I don't know if if that stands out to you, but that stands out to me. So I'm literally going to watch nations rage. I'm going to watch famines global. Not like what we're seeing. It says it will be times like have never been before, nor will ever be again. Global pandemics where we're not just wearing masks, but people are dropping dead. Like literally a third of the earth dies in that famine and in that pandemic. And he says, but don't be afraid. That's what he says. Don't be afraid. It's the Greek word harao, when he says, see that you are not afraid. You know what, that, that's the very word for prophetic. When the Bible uses the word for prophetic, a prophetic seer is harao. What he says is, prophetically see this. See this for what it is. That's what he's telling them. Have a spiritual perspective and don't be troubled. The tr- Greek word for troubled here is throio, like oreo, throorio, right? Throorio. And you know what that means? I love it. Trouble, because we, we can all identify with this. Trouble panic, crying out, or to scream in an emotional uproar. Anybody ever felt like they wanted to scream in an emotional uproar? Oh! <laughs> he says, see, the, see it spiritually and don't go screaming in an emotional uproar. See it spiritually and don't cry out in panic. See it spiritually and don't be troubled. This is what he's telling us. We have to see it spiritually. What does that mean? God's for you. We have faith in his promises, his personhood, his, per- his presence, and his purpose. These things are given to us for hope. And hope produces faith. I want you to say this. Hope produces faith. And faith changes the game. Yep. Be faithful. Choose in this season that you be committed. Choose in this season that you be consistent. Choose in this season that you be loyal. Choose in this season that you be firm. This is what God wants you to be in this time. Jesus helps those who, need, who help themselves. Anybody ever heard that? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus helps those who need help. Jesus helps those who need help. He is our ever-present help in time of need. Call upon me and I will answer you. Right? 
you seek me, you will find me. God will help you. God's not looking for you to help yourself. If you can't help yourself, God's not looking for that. He'll help you. The Bible says Jesus helps those who need help. So if you're hurting right now, the Lord will comfort you. If you're confused, he will guide you. If you're discouraged, he will give you hope. If you feel anxious and have a lot of anxiety, God will give you peace. If you are weak, he will give you strength. And how does this happen? It happens through his spirit. You have to call upon him. You have to access him. You have to reach for him and ask for it. So if, you, if you're hurting, say, Lord, I need comfort. He'll give it. If you're confused, say, Jesus, I need you to guide me. He'll give it. If you're discouraged, you say, Lord, I need hope. He'll give it. If you're anxious, saying, Lord, I'm anxious. I'm anxious about all of these things. The Bible says, and then you say, I need peace. He'll give you peace. If you're weak and you say, Lord, I'm too weak. I don't have it in me. I can't do it. I can't get out of bed. I can't face tomorrow. I just can't do it. I need your strength. Don't just tell him your problem. Ask for the provision. And lastly, if you're lost, he'll save you. We have a lot of people that watch us by live stream, and we're super grateful for that. We're very honored that you would watch us and that you would allow Elevate to minister to you and to bless you. And we want to bless you in return. There are a lot of people out there that don't know Jesus. You have a few looking for something, looking for some answers, looking for some direction. And but you're lost. You've never given your life to Jesus. And the Bible says if you've never given your heart to Christ, you are lost. You are helpless, hopeless and helpless without him. The bad news is you've sinned. We all have. Welcome to the planet. And that sin has separated you from God. But the good news is, is that Jesus has paid the debt for you. It's what the cross is all about. It's what Easter is all about. The resurrection. He, Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He rose. He died for you. He died as you. Your debt's been paid for. But if your debt's been paid for, you have to receive the payment for that gift. I said, hey, I got a payment for you. It's going to pay all your debts. It's going to wipe it all. You got to just come and take the check. But you never get up and come and take the check. You, can't, you never appropriate the provision that's been given to you. God has made provision for all of mankind to be saved. But, they, but you must appropriate the provision. The provision is there for man to be forgiven. The provision is there for man to be restored and redeemed, if you will. But you have to appropriate the provision. Say, how do I do that? The Bible says this. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's risen from the dead and you'll be saved. It's as simple as, again, come back to faith. Faith doesn't come from the head. Faith comes from the heart. And the expression of faith comes through the mouth. And so we're going to say a prayer here. We say it together as a church at Elevate. And we want to pray it with you there at home. If you are that person, you say, man, I gave my life to Jesus when I was a kid, but I've gone too far. Pray it again. It's called rededication. If you've never done it before, let, it be, let us honor you today by leading you that, that way. And if, you've, if, you, if you're just far, you say, man, I've run from God. Come back. Come back. There's no condemnation. He'll take you just as you are. Say, I'm a mess. Doesn't matter. Jesus, he specializes in messes. <laughs> He's in the restoration business. He, he, just, he just is. So we're going to pray. We want to pray with you. Open your heart and just pray with us. Just, 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 just do it. Just go for it. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. 
And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you, hit us up. Hit us up in the message. Yeah, we can clap. We can clap. The Bible says the angels celebrate you. Celebrate you. So, hey, all of you out there watching, you want to be a two-minute missionary, share this stream. So it'll re- refresh and it'll come up as a post. But share this post, share the stream, and you can be a two-minute missionary. And you can send this message out to all your friends who definitely need to hear it. And so we want to let you know that we love you and God loves you. And I'm going to bless everybody here one more time and then we're going to end. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And forever may you live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen.